chapters into it or a couple of books into it, you'll find Zechariah. And uh, this morning I want to speak to you on the subject, why do you do what you do? And uh, no, I'm not talking about something we would say to our children. Why do you do that? No, I'm saying why do you do what you do? Whether it's service for the Lord, whatever it is, why do you do what you do? Zechariah chapter 7 and verse 1. Now in the fourth year of King Darius, it came to pass that the word of the Lord came to Zechariah on the fourth day of the ninth month, Chislev. That would be around approximately December the 7th. When the people sent Cherezer with Regum Melech and his men to the house of God to pray before the Lord and to ask the priests who were in the house of the Lord of hosts and the prophets saying, Should I weep in the fifth month and fast as I have done for so many years? Then the word of the Lord of hosts came to me saying, Say to all the people of the land and to the priests, When you fasted and mourned in the fifth and seventh months during those seventy years, did you really fast for me? For me? When you eat and when you drink, do you not eat and drink for yourselves? Father, we ask you to bless the reading of God's word. Lord, it's settled in heaven forever. As we pause these moments, I ask you that you would just give us a calm, a peace. Lord, help us to be attentive to your word. God, we, uh, we desperately need you. Many of us have struggled all week. Some are even struggling right now in this room. Lord, may we sense your calming presence. May the words fall upon our heart. May they fall on fertile ground and take root. Oh, Father, we need you. I desperately need you as I stand to speak. I pray you would fill me with your words, with your spirit. Keep me from meddling in the flesh. And Lord, do something incredible in and through us for your glory, for which only you can receive honor and glory, for which only you can be attributed to. We love you. We adore you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Thank you. you may be seated. You know, there's a great difference in doing religious things and being Christ-like. I would want to tell you that much of my Christian life has been spent on the doing rather than the being. When I say doing, I say I'm talking about doing religious things. We preachers have become good at that. Someone will come to us with a problem, and what will we tell them? Well, you need to pray more. You need to read more. You need to be around church people more. You need to do this, that, or the other more. And all too often, what we have, just like the nation of Israel, is we have a bunch of people doing religious things, but our hearts are far from, from God. In this passage of Scripture... These people were fasting. They kept the fasts timely as they were supposed to. They did it very ritualistic. And God says to them, he says, Are you really, when you fasted all those years, were you really doing it for me? And he says again, for me? It's something for us to think about because I want to tell you, there's nothing more cold than a heartless religion. See, there are many people who serve the Lord. As a matter of fact, in the Gospel of Matthew, and we'll allude to it later, 
there were men who came and they said, uh, we did wonderful works in your names. We healed the sick. We raised the dead. We did all these marvelous things. And he said, depart from me, you workers of iniquity, for I never knew you. So much in our day, even from the time we are in elementary school and preschool and we're fed the lie, you can be anything you want to be, you can do anything you want to do. I will never dunk a basketball. I can work out from now until I die. It's not going to happen. I will never beat Mike Tyson in a fight. Um, someone asked me one time, would you do it for a million dollars? Yes, as long as there's no limitations, because I think I can take one punch for a million. I can run around for a ring, at least one, one round. Um, but anyways, back on, I digress. But the point I want to make is, we, we try to build in our, our, our lives this self-sufficiency. How many times have we told ourselves, tomorrow morning, I'm going to start a diet. And it'll last till Tuesday until you come across the Oreos. We're programmed to think that. And it spills over into our Christianity. Hey, I'm, if I just give and I go to church, everything's going to be all right in my life. And guys, we're withering away because of it. We do so many religious programs. Christianity has become programmatic. It means that we have all these programs, all these endorsements, all these in special days. And we wear ourselves out and we think we're doing something for Christ and we're merely doing religious things. And we really don't even care anymore. In Isaiah chapter 1, in verses 10 and 11, I want you to hear something. The Lord is speaking to the nation of Israel and He calls them because He told them if... Uh, he said, uh, comparing them to Sodom and Gomorrah, so he speaks to them as Sodom and Gomorrah. He says, Hear the wor word of the Lord, you rulers of Sodom. Give ear to the law of our God, you people of Gomorrah. To what purpose is the multitude of your sacrifices to me? God says, I have had enough of burnt offerings of rams and the fat of the fed cattle. I do not delight in the blood of bulls or lambs or goats. Israel thought they could live however they wanted to live, do whatever they wanted to do. And as long as they brought that sacrificial lamb and, or that goat and they, they, they offered it up, that they would be fine. And God says, what purpose is this? What purpose is your sacrifice to me? What purpose is all of this doing and doing and doing and doing and doing and doing? What purpose does it do? It does nothing for our heart. Many a time, we outrun our being by our doing. So what do we do? Well, I, you know, I'm, I'm, feel, I'm feeling down on myself, so i got to do more for God. i, got, I really got to do more. I'm really going to make a commitment this time. I'm really going to do more. But listen to me. From Genesis to Revelation, God has laid out for us that He is more concerned with our being than our doing. When I say being, I'm talking about that Christ-like character. The term Christian stands for Christ-like. It's, it's talking about being possessing the fruit of the Spirit. Because God knows that when we are being, the doing will take care of itself. If I'm full of the fruit of the Spirit, I'll have no problem loving people, 
I'll have no problem with joy. I'll have no problem with patience. I'll have no problem with self-control. But isn't it easier to check off a list? I went to church this morning. I'm good. Threw in some money for God. I'm good. Our doing must be an overflow of our being. But yet in our churches, we're constantly saying, we need to do more. We need to do more. To which I ask you, is Christ not enough? I mean, someone tells me, you know, uh, I had a person tell me this one time, you need to shut your church down one Sunday, bring all of your church people and hear our choir. Why? I mean, you might have a great choir and thank God for your choir, but why would I do that? It's not about your choir. It's about Christ. Is Jesus enough? Someone says, well, what can the church do for me? What do you want the church to do for you? Jesus, (laughs) he saved you. You're not going to hell. What more do you want from him? He'll give you power and strength to live daily. You see, what matters is our motive. Do you know that in the state of Ohio, the difference between the death penalty and life in prison is motive? Pretty important, right? Motive. And I went to the online dictionary to find out what motive means in the English language, and it means this, something that causes a person to act. So I ask you this question. What is your motive for being here? What is your motive for serving the Lord, teaching Sunday school, working in Awana? What is your motive for singing the praise team? What is your motive? In Matthew chapter 7, in verse uh, 21, I think, through 23, Jesus is speaking and he says this, Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, shall enter the kingdom of heaven, but he who does the will of my Father in heaven. Many will say to me in that day, Lord, Lord, have we not prophesied in your name, cast out demons in your name, and done many wonders in your name? Jesus says in verse 23, And then I will declare to them, I never knew you. Depart from me, ye, you who practice lawlessness. If we really think that our doing is going to gain favor with God and get us to heaven, we've missed the ball altogether. If we really think that as long as I go to church and I read my Bible and I give and those things are important, but as long as I do that, I'll be right with God, you can do that and be way away from Him in your heart. And Jesus says, Jesus says, these guys that did all this stuff, everybody perceived that they were great Christians, but they never knew me. I just ran into, uh, Keith Matheny called me, and he ran into someone that we went to church with when I grew up. grew up with this guy in a teen group. He was very active in our church, and she said, you know, he got saved in 2018. I said, what? 2018? I mean, I was with him at the church camps when he went forward. I saw all this stuff. This is a shock to me. Guys, listen to me. When I serve, do I serve for the Lord, or am I really doing it for me? You see, there are some... 
reasons why people serve the Lord. First of all, they see, serve the Lord for self-worth. Some people serve the Lord for their ego. Some people like to be seen and like to be heard. I've often said, God did not give me a voice for singing. Can you imagine how annoying I would be if I preached and sung? Right in the middle of a song, hey, or right in the middle of a sermon, hey, I'm going to go over here and sing a song, you know. Everybody's like, oh, Lord, here he goes. But some people serve for how it makes them feel, how it makes them look. Some people serve so that they get praise and attention. You say, I don't believe that. Well, how come people get mad when nobody notices? If you do what you do for the Lord and no one thanks you, there's a good chance you might be doing it for the right reason. But if you get offended because someone didn't come to you and say, man, you did a good job, you got a you problem. You have an ego problem. Some people serve the Lord to earn approval from God, to earn salvation. I was uh, at Abundant Life, I grew up in that church, and I ran a basketball league. I was never good at basketball, I was short, and still short. Thanks for pointing it out, dude. Um, but anyways, I ran a basketball league, and we had, when I worked with the teens, we had about 10 churches that played in this league. And we had a little problem. One of the requirements was that the kids had to come to one service a week. We were trying to keep from recruiting. So whatever church that church had a team, and the kids that they brought on the basketball league, they had to come to one service a week. You have Sunday morning, Sunday night, Wednesday night. And there was some hubbub between the coaches. One of the churches thought another guy was out recruiting and all this, and you know, it's supposed to be a church league, and they're acting like idiots. And so we have to all go in this room, and we're in there. And this guy makes this statement, and it shocked me. He said, man, I, you know, I, I want this to be right because I don't want to go to hell. Did I, did I miss something? But his doctrine was as long as they did good works, they would go to heaven. Oh, yeah, we believe that you got to be saved, and then, but you have to you know, keep your salvation by doing all these good works. That's a wrong motive for doing good works. And this, can I put a little footnote in here? You and I will never be good enough in our own efforts to gain the favor of God. The reason we have the favor of God is because we're accepted in the beloved. He loves us because he is love. And he rescued and redeemed us. Many people serve God because they got a problem in their life and they want God to fix the problem. I've noticed this through the years. As a pastor, someone will come with a problem and they'll be seeking the Lord and they're intensely seeking the Lord and as they're seeking the Lord and the problem gets taken care of and then you, you never see them again. These are just some reasons why. You know, I've thought about this and I, I want to be honest with you. I want to be transparent with you as your pastor. There have been many times in my life that I've given a tithe because I was afraid if I didn't, something would happen that week and I would be financially in trouble. That's a wrong reason to give, isn't it? 
I'm sure there are some pastors who say, oh, give anyways. Give until it hurts. But wouldn't you rather be right with God? Wouldn't you rather give because you love Jesus? Wouldn't you rather give because you have joy that he's met your needs this week? Many times I've done things in Christianity not because I wanted to or not because I love God, but because if I didn't, I had to listen to someone complain about it. And so guilt drove me to do it. Guys, I want to tell you something. The older I get, the more I'm understanding how absolutely, 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 I don't even know the words to say, how I need God every day of my life. I am in such need for Him. There was a question asked to me one time in the disciples class at Abundant Life when my dad was teaching that class and he asked us a question and this question has been etched in my mind and I want to ask you do you love God because you need him or do you need God because you love him this is extremely important there's a church at Ephesus in, chap- in uh, Revelation I'd just like to touch on just a moment Revelation chapter 2, you've heard it a hundred thousand times probably if you've been in Baptist churches. We love to preach through the, in Revelation, the churches of Revelation. In Revelation chapter 2 and verse 1, to the angel of the church of Ephesus write, These things says he who holds the seven stars in his right hand, who walks in the midst of the seven golden lampstands, I know your works, your labor, your patience, and that you cannot bear those who are evil. And you have tested those who say they are apostles and are not and have found them liars. And you have persevered and have patience and have labored for my name's sake and have not become weary. But, or nevertheless, I have this against you. You have left your first love. This church was a church that you and I would attend. This is a church that stood on the truth. A church that labored. A church that worked hard. That was diligent in putting, put, uh, putting out the fires of false doctrine. And false teachers. But he says, you've lost your first love. You've left your first love, excuse me. You've left your first love. You don't have that love for Jesus that you had when you were first saved. Oh, you're doing all these works, these works, these tremendous works. But listen to what he says. Verse 5. Remember, therefore, from where you have fallen, repent and do the first works, or else I will come to you quickly and remove your lampstand from its place Unless you repent. I'm going to take your light. I'm going to take your testimony away from you. Church, why do we do what we do? When we worship, 
Do we genuinely worship? We don't sing songs to fill space. We sing songs to praise our Savior, to glorify our God. And I'm afraid if we're not careful, we will fall into the trap of heartless religion where we can substitute that red-hot love for the Lord Jesus Christ that we have for doing religious things. Community events and all these things. Listen to me. We do them because we want to reach people with the gospel. We say, right? But do you know honestly that each one of us has a responsibility from our mouth to our friends' hearts and our family's hearts, that we individually share the gospel? Sometimes our outreach efforts can be a thing where we don't have to have that one-on-one responsibility. We'll do it in a mass setting. But it's always been God's plan for each one reach one. If you've ever been in basic training and you've ever received a letter, you know how cherished that letter is. You cherish it, you read it, you love mail call. Mail call, to me, in basic training, (laughs) was the best part of the day. You say, well, what about dinner? Nah, dinner wasn't because the food wasn't that great. Now, the people in the Air Force, they had good food. But now the Army, we didn't. But if you were an Army cook, sorry. (laughs) But uh, it's the truth. I've scraped the pans. I've had KP duty. But anyways, um, the point I want to make is the reason you cherished that letter was because of the relationship behind the one that wrote the letter. When you and I repent of our coldness to God and we begin to love Him more and we begin to spend time with Him, our hearts begin to change. Peter and some of the disciples were speaking and they said they took note that these were ignorant and unlearned men. But the Bible says they took note that they had been with Jesus. What a testimony. The Apostle Paul says in uh, 2 Corinthians chapter 11, he said, "I, I marvel that you are so easily moved from the simplicity that's in Christ Jesus. We have to be the best. We have to have the best. We have to have all this stuff worldwide and have a name for ourselves and we compete with other churches. And why? And God is saying, Are you really doing this for me? For me? So, what does it mean to do what we do for Him? Well, firstly, I think it means that. I love him so much, I want to honor him. Guys, I, I, I cannot understate this to you. If you read through the scriptures, and especially the gospels, you see Jesus touching the untouchable. You see Jesus with a compassion unmatched by anyone else. And in our churches, we have moved away from that. Why was Jesus that way? Because he is love. 
And the closer we are to Christ, the closer we will be to other people. We'll love people. Listen, we should not be, hear me please, we should not be shocked when sinners act like sinners. When lost people act like lost people, we should not be shocked. We should be more shocked that professing Christians are not acting like Christ. When the disciples were with Jesus, it's amazing. This is amazing to me. And I have so many questions when I get to heaven I want to ask. Peter is mending, they're mending their nets there along the seashore. Jesus walks by and says, follow me and I'll make you fishers of men. They dropped their nets and they followed him. They followed him. And you know, everyone who knew who they were responded in an overwhelmingly way to the Lord Jesus Christ. And everyone who pretended to be what they weren't did not respond to him in the right way. It was the religious crowd, the Pharisees, the religious do-gooders that were constantly on Jesus. You're going to heal on the Sabbath day. You know. He says, I am the Lord of the Sabbath. It's my day. I can do what I want. And all of this, they continually... The religious crowd were the ones who were far away from Christ. They did religious things, but they were not close to Christ. The woman who was caught in the act of adultery and saw Jesus and His grace and what He would give her, she knew what she was. She responded to His love, and she was overwhelmed. The woman at the well. She ran in and says... Come see the man that told me everything I've ever done. Is not this the Christ, the Messiah? And they came. People that were with Christ, others knew it. And I say this, Jesus wants us to be with him. Next week's message. We're going to talk from Matthew chapter 16 verse 24. If any man desires to come after me, let him deny himself, take up his cross, and follow me. With Jesus, Christ is enough, and we don't spend enough time in our lives cultivating our love for Jesus. I'm not even sure we understand the concept of love. The uh, people, I've said it before, I was cracked up when this guy posted this, you know. We, he said, I love my ferret. And in the same sentence, I love my wife. I mean, you're putting your ferret on the same plan as your wife, a little rodent. We don't understand the concept of love. Teenagers, I love you, I love you. Y'all ain't been dating a week. Dating, you're just talking, you're texting. What do you know? I mean, oh, I'm in love. You're not in love. We don't understand the concept of love. Love is sacrificial. Love is sacrificial. And I tell you, please don't forget your absolute need 
for Jesus Christ. Listen, you and I need to preach the gospel to ourselves every day. The gospel is not one time thing that you preached and you believed and now you're saved and you move away from the gospel. The gospel is the power of God unto salvation. Every day of your life, you preach the gospel. It's because of the gospel I can love Jesus Christ. I love him because he first loved me. You can love him. The question is, do you want to love him? Number two, it means whatever I do, I do it with all my heart as if I'm doing it to Him. Colossians chapter, I believe it's 3, if I'm not mistaken, 3.17. The Scriptures tells us, And whatever you do in word or in deed, do all in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, giving thanks to God the Father through Him. Same chapter, verse 23, And whatever you do, do it heartily as to the Lord and not to men. Peter experienced this. Peter was uh, very outspoken. He was always the first one to speak. And I love this because he denies Christ. And he was all fine until the rooster began to crow. And they take out Christ and Christ looks at him. Jesus looks at him. Do you know that 52 days later, he stands in the synagogue preaching to the people that he denied Christ in front of, preaching to them, he said, this same man whom you crucified is both Lord and Savior. What made the difference in him? Well, he was restored on the banks of the sea. And the Lord told him. And he experienced the love of Jesus Christ. And out of his love for Jesus, from that point forward, until his death, Peter was about the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ. And everything he did, he did for the glory of God. He's walking towards walking down the road one day and there's a man there that says, do you have any money? Give me some money, a beggar. And Peter looks at him and says, silver and gold have I none, but in the name of Jesus, get up and walk. And he healed him. What am I telling you? I'm telling you the power, the power of a heart that's on fire for the Lord Jesus Christ. A heart that loves will do everything and anything that he or she does, does it for the Lord. It's not like this. Um, well, I'll do it, but I don't like it. Really? Your motives, you love Christ? Well, I'll do it because no one else will do it. I got to do all this around the church because no one else will do it. Really? Don't do it. Show everybody how important you are. Don't do it. Do what you do for the glory of God. Number three, I forsake all the thoughts of what I am going to get from doing this. This is huge. This is huge. I'm sorry, but this bothers me on Facebook. And I'm shrinking 
and shrinking. And a matter of fact, the only, there's two things that keep me on Facebook. Our church page and marketplace. I'm sorry. Um, anyways, <clears throat> i got to tell the truth. Uh, I'm sorry. But anyways, I'll see this. Some, a church will do something. You know, a pastor will visit the hospital and he takes a selfie. Why? Visiting the hospital. So, visit the hospital. Who cares? Go. And, and we have to do this because we have to have attention for it. It is a big thing. You say, is it a big thing? Yes, yeah, it's a big thing. It's a real big thing. We like to take glory for what we do for the Lord. It's your flesh. We all want to do it. But be careful patting your back. You might hurt yourself. I abandon all these thoughts of what I'm going to get for doing this. You see, the flesh does not want to make this about God. The flesh desires to glory in itself. The Bible tells us the flesh is contrary to the Spirit, and the flesh and the Spirit war against each other, and the flesh wants you to not be about Jesus Christ. The flesh wants you to be about you, glorify your name, make sure that everybody knows it. It's like the fellow that gave a bunch of money and stood up to the church and said, Hey, now listen, I'm doing this for the Lord. I don't want anybody to, to, to give me any praise for this. It's all glory to God. Well, why'd you have to tell the church? Just do it. God says, he that gives secretly, I will reward openly. I must be aware that my flesh loves this. That my flesh is gratified by this. And it wants to glory in itself. And so therefore, I forsake it. Church, let me ask you this. Do you love God because you need Him? Or do you need God because you love Him? I'm reading a book right now that um, it's called uh, Lowly. Uh, I can't remember what it's called. But anyways, it's a good book. don't remember the name of it. But in it, he talks about the intercessory work of Christ. And I was captivated by it. In his work, talking about the intercessory of Christ, he said that we all struggle when we pray. Does anybody struggle when you pray? I mean, does anybody else's mind wander? I mean, if, my mind, if, I, if I didn't have a wandering mind, I'd have no mind, I suppose. But he talks about that and how we all feel like we fail in our prayer. But he says... He lives to make intercession for us, Hebrews 7.25. He ever lives to make intercession for us. And could you, he said, could you imagine when you're failing in your prayer, if you could hear in the other room Jesus praying out loud for you? The comfort and the calmness that would come over you. Do you know that's what he's currently doing for us right now, making intercession for us? And also the Holy Spirit makes intercession for us on our behalf. If you and I knew how deeply he loves us. 
If you and I knew how much he wants us to be with him, we'd forsake everything else and latch onto that and pursue it with all our energy. Do you really love him? Do you really do what you do for him? Or do you do it for you? That's what we need to ask ourselves. Meek and Lowly, that's the name of the book. Meek and Lowly, if you get an opportunity, you ought to read it. Would you bow with me for prayer?